He was just doing a limited strike. Oh, just a limited strike. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I just didn't know that it's okay to simply attack another country with bombs. Bernie Sanders was on CBS's Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan. Now, he was asked about Iran. And uh, look, I have two clips to show you here. This first clip, don't just pay attention to Bernie's answer. Also pay attention to the absurd pushback from <laughs> Margaret Brennan to Bernie's initial response. Watch. I want to ask you uh, about Iran. Good. Was President Trump's decision this week to call off that strike the right one? <laughs> See, it's like somebody setting a fire uh, to uh, a basket full of paper and then putting it out. Uh, he helped create the crisis and then he stopped the attacks. The idea that we're looking at a president of the United States who, number one, thinks that a war with Iran is something that might be good for this country. He was just doing a limited strike. Oh, just a limited strike. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I just didn't know that it's okay to simply attack another country with bombs, just a limited strike. That's an act of warfare. So two points. That will set off a conflagration all over the Middle East. Uh, and if you think the war, as I do, the war in Iraq, Margaret, was a disaster. I believe from the bottom of my heart that the war, a war with Iran would be even worse, more loss of life, never-ending war in that region, massive instability. We're talking about, we have been in uh, Afghanistan now for 18 years. This thing will never end. All right, so a lot to say here. First off, I love Bernie's sarcasm when he responds to, to Margaret Brennan's pushback. The idea that it's just a limited strike Look, I understand that these reporters, these journalists, they like to play devil's advocate. But if you, when you have to actually make things up to form the, the, the devil's advocate argument, then what is the point? You are just pushing propaganda. So it's one thing to be neutral. I mean, that's what Margaret Brennan here is, is, is being. She's being neutral. She's representing both sides, the Republican side and the Democratic side of the argument. But you have to be objective to the facts, the actual facts that if Trump had launched that strike, it would have set off a chain reaction and likely started a war. So this idea that, oh, just a limited strike. I mean, why are you playing dumb? This, it, it honestly, it just makes Margaret Brennan look stupid. Like there is no, there's no advantage to, to uh, pushing this sort of argument out there. I mean, do you ever see the opposite? When those pro-war politicians on these shows, do they ever get pushback when they want strikes? Do they ever say, well, how about all the deaths? How about all these endless wars and no solutions? How about the cost? How much is it going to cost for just this strike alone, let alone an ongoing war? So there is never pushback on the opposite side because the right wing have co-opted the entire narrative around foreign policy to the point where both Republicans and Democrats, their default position is pro-war. I mean, that shows you how far right wing the mainstream narrative is when the guy that wants peace is getting pushed back because he wants peace. This idea that the U.S. can just strike whoever they want, whenever they want, because what, we're the U.S., we get to do it. I, I just, there is no, <laughs> there, there, there's absolutely no justifying it. And again, these, this sort of, um, devil's advocate argument, what it ends up doing is it ends up creating its own narrative and furthers the narrative that pro-war is the correct position and that anybody that wants peace, oh, they're the crazy ones. I mean, it's honestly disgusting. And it's what has led 
America into all of these conflicts because people are just now so accepting of it because it's become normalized. Now, on the question of uh, should Trump get credit for calling off the strike, I, I think it depends what your place is in the media. So if you are, say, a Fox News host that Donald Trump watches, I think it's actually a good thing to give Trump credit for calling off the strike. Give him positive reinforcement. Like a, he's like a child. You have to give him positive reinforcement. But I don't think Trump's watching me, so I don't have to do it. As Bernie Sanders said, he started the problem. He pull, Trump pulled out of the Iran deal. Trump escalated tensions with Iran. So for him to call off the strike that he was that he was about to start, that why give you why give Trump credit for an issue that he created? So again, if you're a Fox News host, yes, give him positive reinforcement. Yes, good job, little boy. Good job. You didn't you didn't uh, call a strike on Iran. But everybody else, let's be real here. Trump started this whole thing. Now let's go to the next clip here, where um, Sanders is asked. What would a President Sanders do in this situation? How would President Sanders resolve this? I'll tell you how we would. Look, this is a tough issue, and I'm not saying it's anyone can easily resolve it. But this is what I would say. I would say to Iran, I would say to Saudi Arabia, I would say to Israel, I would say to the other countries in that region, you know what? You have been at war in one way or another for decade after decade after decade. And by the way, your wars have not only impacted your own people, they have impacted the United States to the tune of trillions of dollars and 5,000 lost lives. We will play a role in bringing you together. And if you need economic aid, we will provide the economic aid. We will provide the resources. But we're not simply going to give more and more weaponry to Saudi Arabia, uh, to Israel. We're going to try to bring people together for what I admit, Margaret, I admit it, will not be easy. But that's what the role of, I think, the U.S. should be, not simply to be uh, part of the uh, Saudi uh, war efforts in the region. So one of the things that struck me about this answer is that you don't ever hear this from a politician. I mean, steps towards peace and positive reinforcement as opposed to, you know, selling weapons and uh, strength through force. I mean... An answer like this will make a lot of people in, in, in the mainstream press and a lot of politicians think, oh, he's being so naive. It's so naive to, to want peace with these countries. But isn't it naive to think that ongoing war is going to solve anything when it hasn't? Isn't that more naive? I mean, this idea that, again, uh, that positive reinforcement, no more weapons deals, that actually trying to work together with these nations and not start wars, that that is somehow absurd, but starting a war is the right thing to do. Uh, like, the entire narrative is backwards. And that's because the military-industrial complex and these politicians co-opted by the military-industrial complex have bought into this idea that has to be America's way. It has to be strength through force. We have to forcefully... We have to we, we we have to actually kill people in order for uh, our interests to to be furthered wherever, but that hasn't worked. Not to mention, I mean, the the actual uh, cost, the the literal cost of how much war war costs. Not just you know in terms of lives, but in terms of money, how much it costs, and just that it hasn't worked. 
So a different approach is the only way forward. And really, this is Bernie's position on, on foreign policy is truly what sets him apart from everybody else. I mean, when you look at someone like Elizabeth Warren, who has a lot of solid positions, um, but when it comes to foreign policy, it appears she's just the same as everybody else. But Bernie's actually willing to challenge the military-industrial complex. He's actually willing to challenge the fact that America has been in these these never-ending wars. So this is somebody that would be different. And right now, I think that's exactly what America needs. What about all the cuts he's made to public education and health care? I, I just think that, you know, there, there's more important things, honestly. So this weekend, Ontario Premier Doug Ford held Ford Fest, which is exactly what it sounds like. A festival that celebrates Doug Ford. Now, <laughs> I have to show you this video that... Uh, Tina Yazdani and uh, her cameraman shot. So this is a, she's a reporter for City News Toronto. And just, she did fantastic work on the ground. She interviewed one of Doug Ford's supporters who happened to be wearing a MAGA hat. And it's as embarrassing as it sounds. Watch. What, what, you know, what's her to say bad? Like what, I don't see why people can say bad things about him. He's, you know, helping us. What about all the cuts he's made to public education and health care? I, I just think that, you know, there, there's more important things, honestly. In my eyes, there's more important things. I feel like we could, uh, you know, I don't know. The, the cuts are the cuts. I, I think some, some of them weren't the greatest idea. But uh, other than that, I think he's great. I think that... Uh, Doug is just, I think he's real, and I think he's here to help. All right. Now, look, this guy clearly doesn't know anything. So I have an issue with really going in on people who are this effing stupid. Because on one hand, I mean... I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not sure if shame works when it comes to people this dumb. I think when someone's this dumb, there is a potential you can educate them and get them up to speed on what is actually going on. I mean, his comment there that, well, other than the cuts, well, Doug Ford is, I mean, he's great. He's helping people. Okay, let me um play this clip uh, of one of my recent videos where I break down not even all the cuts, but a lot of the cuts, or at least some of the cuts <laughs> that Doug Ford has made. And uh, yeah, I think this kind of speaks for itself. Why do people hate Doug Ford and this progressive conservative party? Here is a sampling of what this government has done in just a year. Frozen public sector wage increases at 1%. Reversed half a billion dollars in municipal funding. Cut annual funding for stem cell research. Cut an unclear amount of funding from Violence Against Women Shelter Services. Cut health policy and research funding. Cut $1 billion from Toronto Public Health over the next 10 years. Cut all legal aid for refugee and immigration cases and 30% of the general legal aid budget. Cut free tuition for low-income students. 
Cut $25 million in funding for specialized school programs. Cancelled rent control in new buildings, three provincial uh, watchdog positions, and more. Cancelled labor reform, Bill 148, which included cancelling an increase on the minimum wage as well as cancelling two paid sick days. Cancelled the Green Ontario Fund. Cancelled $100 million in funding for school repairs. During the campaign, Doug Ford said that under our government, not a single person will lose their job. But of course, Doug Ford is a liar. He cut thousands of full-time teaching positions and breaking the Ontario government is laying off 400 people and cutting another 400 vacant jobs as it merges healthcare agencies. But don't worry. He also canceled a planned surtax on the wealthy, worth $275 million a year in revenue. So while Doug Ford is going around saying, we have no money for anything, we have to make all these cuts, he handed over $275 million a year to the wealthiest people in Ontario. But you know, there's more important things. Oh, other than the cuts, there, there's more important things. More important things than public education, healthcare, and all the other cuts that Doug Ford has, has instituted. More important things, like beer. And I'm not joking. From August of last year, Buck of Beer, Doug Ford announces plan to bring back $1 brews back to Ontario. Uh, from October last year, Doug Ford freezes beer tax that was set to rise a penny a bottle in November. From April... Ford's plan for convenience store beer could cost Ontario taxpayers big money. Yes, the more important thing than public education and health care is beer. I mean, if there was something else, I assume this kid would have mentioned it. But he doesn't actually know what's been going on. So look, when it comes to educating people like this, I think it's unlikely he's going to see this video. But educate yourself, please, <laughs> please, before, before, I mean, before you could, before you embarrass yourself anymore, because this is, this is the kind of thing where it's not hard, man. Just like, look it up, like understand what is actually going on here. Understand why Doug Ford is hated so much. But look, the, the actual reality is that he's probably... I mean, he's wearing a MAGA hat, right? So he's probably taken in by, by the cultural BS that he assumes is, a, is, uh, is going on. Like, oh, the feminists are taking over. Oh, the LGBT community want to turn us all gay. I mean, that's likely what is actually going on in this kid's mind. I'm sure his life is fine. He looks like he's, he has, uh, I mean, he, has, he doesn't look like he's struggling. I'm sure he was born into money. I'm sure he's doing just fine. But because of that, he also apparently hasn't uh, experienced what life is like for most for most people, and hasn't t taken the the steps to actually educate himself on what's going on. So when it comes to talking to people like talking to people like this, there is a way you can educate them without shaming them. Because oftentimes, what shame can do is shut them down and make people like this just completely turn off because you made them feel stupid. So try not to make them feel too stupid. <laughs> Though it's hard, try not to make them feel too stupid. Um, but at the same time, we also have to acknowledge very incredibly ignorant people like this is exactly why Doug Ford is the premier right now. Even though Ford only won, his party only won 40% of the vote, 
And because of our first-past-the-post system, with 40% of the vote, he was able to form a majority government. I mean, that is a broken electoral system, but that's how the system operates. So if you if you added the NDP, uh, sorry, the votes for the NDP, the Liberals and the Greens together, the parties that are all more left-wing, they amounted to almost a million more votes than Doug Ford's PC party got. But that isn't how the system works. So I don't want to harp too much on that, but understand here that even from the beginning, Doug Ford did not have a majority of the voter support in Ontario. But again, if you come across somebody this ignorant, try not to make them feel too stupid and just educate them on why you don't like Doug Ford or whatever the issue is. Educate them on on your view and why you have the view that you have. Because oftentimes that... Uh, all you need to do is is plant a seed, and that can plant a seed in the minds of these sorts of ignorant individuals. The American people bailed out Wall Street. Now it is time for Wall Street to come to the aid of the middle class of this country. So most of you already know that Bernie Sanders has introduced free college for all. But now, as a part of his College for All Act, he's also canceling, or at least plans to cancel, trillion in student loan debt. So before I get to any more of these details, let me play a clip here of uh, Bernie discussing this in his uh, announcement. In the wealthiest country in the history of the world, it is simply not acceptable that our younger generation, through no fault of their own, will have a lower standard of living than their parents, more debt, lower wages, and less likelihood of owning their own homes. That is why this proposal completely eliminates student debt in this country and ends the absurdity of sentencing an entire generation, the millennial generation, to a lifetime of debt for the crime of doing the right thing, and that is going out and getting a higher education. Ten years ago, The United States government bailed out Wall Street after their greed, their recklessness, and their illegal behavior drove us into the worst recession in modern history. Today, the major Wall Street banks are larger than ever, their profits are soaring, and their CEOs receive huge compensation packages. Our proposal which costs $2.2 trillion over 10 years, will be fully paid for by a tax on Wall Street speculation similar to what exists in dozens of countries around the world. The American people bailed out Wall Street. Now it is time for Wall Street to come to the aid of the middle class of this country. This Wall Street tax will have the added benefit of controlling Wall Street recklessness and reducing the likelihood of another major economic crash. All right, so Bernie broke it down pretty well there, but I'll get into some more details. So this plan is going to be uh, sponsored in the House by Pramila Jayapal and uh, Ilhan Omar in actually two separate bills in the House. And uh, this may sound a little familiar because Elizabeth Warren just proposed her own version of uh, canceling student debt, though Bernie's goes farther. So here's the difference. Warren's student debt relief is means-tested, as Vox's Ella Nilsson explained. 
Warren's plan, uh, sorry, Warren's plan cancels $50,000 in student loan debt for every person with household income under $100,000 and offers substantial debt cancellation to every person with household income between $100,000 and $250,000. Those making above $250,000 wouldn't qualify. In total, Warren's plan is estimated to cost $1.25 trillion over a decade, almost a trillion less than Sanders. So... Warren's plan, while solid, doesn't go as far as as Bernie's plan does. And on top of that, Bernie's plan is paid for in his proposal. So more details on that. The proposal will cost $2.2 trillion over 10 years, which Sanders said would be paid for with his Wall Street tax. He proposed a Wall Street speculation tax in 2016, which would raise small levies on buying and selling stocks, bonds, and, and derivatives, Many experts estimate it could raise hundreds of billions of dollars annually. Sanders' office cited progressive economist Robert Pollan's projection that the tax would bring in $2.4 trillion in revenues over 10 years. So, Sanders' plan cancels all student debt, is fully paid for, and clearly would have a huge economic benefit. So, I'm going to show some clips here where uh, actually AOC, who also I believe is, is a co-sponsor on the bills uh, in the House, as well as um, Ilhan Omar get into the uh, the benefits of this. But essentially, I mean, it frees people up. So if you have all the student loan debt, it it can prevent you in many ways from living your life, whether it's starting a family, buying a home, buying a car, I mean, buying power in, in general or saving for retirement. So there are so many different aspects of life that student loan debt prevents you from pursuing because of it, like even like starting a business. So say you want to start a business. A lot of people that start businesses happen to come from money or happen to know people, have great connections that have money that can lend to them. In this situation or in um, in a situation like this where your student loans are, are canceled, that gives you more freedom to be able to potentially start a business that you weren't able to before because you're worried about having to pay off your student loans. I mean, there are just endless benefits to this. Now, um... Let me get to uh, so uh, a few clips here from uh, AOC, Ilhan Omar, and Pramila Jayapal. Because families and people in my generation, older and younger, are not buying cars, we're not purchasing homes, we are not building families because of the scepter that student loan debt represents on our generation. It is unjust and it is a burden that no generation before had to encounter to the scale and the level that ours has. I stand before you on behalf of 45 million Americans, 45 million people who feel they can't purchase their first home, 45 million people who feel like they can't start a family, 45 million people who have dreams of opening up a business or going to public service but are held back by a mountain of debt. 45 million who are wondering if they can retire because of the loans they took out for themselves or on behalf of their children. People in their 30s have the most percentage of the student debt held. And of course our millennials are looking at a future that does not have hope. 60% of white students across our country have student debt burdens, students of color even more. 87% of black students have to borrow to attend a four-year college. And African-American women who graduate with a college degree are paying about 111% of their first year salary in student loans. 
as the senator said, we continue to invest in HBCUs and minority institutions, in tribal colleges. We make sure we take care of everybody. And in the end, we make sure that we stop profiteering off of student loans. All right. So um, Jayapal there mentions uh, HBCUs. So I want to just share a little more detail on that and some other uh, aspects of this proposal. Sanders is proposing funding streams to states, tribes, and historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, to allow them to eliminate undergraduate tuition and fees. The bill would also increase spending on work-study programs and build up federal grant programs for low-income students for additional costs related to getting an education from housing and transportation to buying books. So, I mean, this bottom line, this is incredibly beneficial for millions and millions and millions of Americans. This would free so many people up from allowing them to, or uh, free people up to allow them to live the life that they want to live, whether it's pursuing a different career, starting a business, buying a house, buying a car. I mean, student debt holds so many people back. Now, look, you can go online or on Twitter, look it up. There are so many people uh, that are sharing their stories. But I want to share this tweet from a senior policy advisor for Bernie Sanders, Heather uh, Godney, because this is somebody that is has made it in life. I mean, she has a job with Bernie Sanders. She has a PhD and she's still paying off a ton of student debt. So here's what she tweeted out. I am $180,000 in debt. I have a PhD and I'm a tenured professor. My students are in the same boat, sinking in debt. I pay $1,100 a month in student loan debt, half of my rent. We must cancel student debt. Wall Street got bailed out. What about us? Now... This is a story that, like, it, it really shows you how many people are impacted by student debt. Whether you are in a career you like, whether you're working a job that you don't want to work, but you couldn't find a job in your field after you graduated. I mean, the whole spectrum, the whole range of people, student loan debt affects everyone. And it also affects people that haven't gone to college. So there are a lot of people that have decided to not even pursue a higher education because they realize they would be under all of this debt. So there are people out there that haven't reached their potential or haven't gone into the careers that they want to go into because they're worried about the debt. So, I mean, free college and uh, canceling all the student debt would benefit people in so many different ways. Now, I want to share um, some more tweets here. So uh, this tweet from uh, Bernie Sanders, I'm going to make a prediction. The major opponents of our legislation to cancel $1.6 trillion in student debt, mark my words, will be the exact same people who said we had to bail out Wall Street to the tune of billions upon billions of dollars. And of course, Bernie is exactly right. Shortly after that tweet went out, Third Way, which is a Wall Street-funded group, tweeted this out. Free college for all is regressive. Blanket debt forgiveness could actually increase inequality. Uh... (laughs) Of course, they're tweeting this out. Again, they're funded by Wall Street. So when you're going to put a tax on Wall Street to fund canceling the student debt, yeah, they're not going to love it. And they're going to try and construe some narrative to be against this obviously beneficial plan. Um, And let's just take one more look at this tweet. Look at the ratio. I mean, this this is one of the biggest ratios on any tweet I've ever seen. 
all these replies and barely any uh, likes or retweets by comparison. Now, um, actually, one more tweet I want to share here. Uh, this is a, a response to the, the third way tweet from uh, Optimism Survivor. It's a, uh, a caption of Bernie and Pramila Jayapal and uh, Ilhan Omar laughing with the quote, I just read a third way tweet. <laughs> so lots of fun <laughs> happening on that third way tweet. Uh, but let me share a, a tweet here from an institution that is in favor of Bernie's plan. So Harvard Business School tweeted this out. Without the burden of student loan debt, people seek higher paying careers, stabilize their finances, and contribute to the economy. So there you go. That's Harvard Business School in favor of canceling all student debt because they realize how much of a boon it would be to the economy freeing people up to actually put money back into the economy by buying houses, cars, food, whatever. Um, one more tweet here. This is from uh, AOC. So she tweeted out, student loans are a scam. That's why I join Bernie Sanders, Jayapal, and Ilhan to forgive all student loans and make colleges tuition-free. P.S. For the cost of the GOP tax scam, $2 trillion, we could have already forgiven every student loan in America with billions left over. So framing it that way, showing you how much this GOP tax scam costs, the, the tax cuts for corporations and the rich, knowing that that money instead could have gone to student loans and helped actual people, I mean, it shows you how bought this Congress is, especially the Republican Party. So look, Democrats have their issues too, but there definitely is a difference. <laughs> and the, the amount of tax cuts for the rich, I mean... The GOP essentially exists for massive corporations and the rich. That's that's the whole point of of that party. And they try and distract their voters with cultural issues because selling people on giving a tax cut to the rich is a hard sell. So they got to focus on the cultural issues. But knowing that that two trillion could have gone to student debt instead, I mean, it's it's got to be maddening for people that are fully aware of how they're being screwed. Um, so yeah, this plan is great. Uh, look, I was a big supporter of Warren's plan as well, but we have to be honest when a better plan comes out, it's a better plan. So even though, um, Warren's plan is, is solid, Bernie takes it a step further here. And uh, look, I'm just glad that there are multiple competing progressive proposals for uh, an issue like this. Cause I mean, addressing student debt is definitely one of the, uh, I think the most vital issues that. 2020 candidates need to uh, address. Well, my father couldn't lift me above his head as a child because of his torture wounds. So I do think hyperbole is important. All right. So Megan McCain is at it again during a discussion on The View about what is happening on the border and more specifically what is happening in these camps and how children and other people are being treated in these camps. In a, I guess, a quasi-debate here with Sonny Hostin, Meghan McCain didn't take as much issue with what's happening in these camps as she did with the terminology of what some people are calling these camps. Watch. I think uh, when you have 24 immigrants that have died in ICE custody since the Trump administration, you have at least seven children that are known to have died in immigration custody since last year. For almost a decade before, no child has died in immigration custody before yeah. the Trump administration. Ask yourself, we have seven, well, can, can I, I ask yourself can I what I is question? That if those kids were from Norway, would this be happening? No. 
Okay. Well, it's, it is horrific, and it's a complete and total humanitarian crisis, and we don't have the infrastructure to deal with it. Calling these places torture facilities, I understand it is a humanitarian crisis. It's horrific to detain, and you, like you said, people in jail get soap, and people in jail get toothpastes, excuse me, toothpaste, but... I know what a torture facility looks like. I've been to one. But I know, to listen to one. me, excuse me. When you have a facility whose specific purpose is to torture people, that is not what's going on. Yes, it's inhumane, but there is a big difference between the Hanoi Hilton and what's happening well, at the border right now. We should be less right concerned now. about what we're calling them than what, what is happening inside of them. But hyperbole, I gotta tell you, I don't think it matters what we're calling them. Kids are dying inside of them. Well, we shouldn't I play think, semantics but I think, with what we're calling them. Well, we I should think, care about the dead kids well, I that think, have come out of them. Well, my father couldn't lift me above his head as a child because of his torture wounds. So I do think hyperbole is important. But that was a war, way, and they were grown but tor Okay. It's like watching a discussion between adults and a child. Meghan McCain, I think, is in her 30s, but she has the brain of a child. I mean, the idea that she is more bothered by the terminology than what is actually happening in these camps. Now, maybe if you asked her that directly, she'd say, oh, no, I care more about what's happening in the camps. But she spent most of her time during this discussion. You can watch the entire video. I'll have a link to it below. She spent the vast majority of the time discussing the term saying that oh i think hyperbole matters because my father couldn't lift me above his head and oh my god it's the worst thing ever like i did what why is she on this show and look as i say that and i've asked myself that question many times often on camera in a video talking about megan mccain it's obvious she brings in ratings People this dumb are train wrecks, and people like to watch train wrecks on television. Now, at the same time, a lot of people, look, at least in my comments I've seen, um, people that used to watch The View and now haven't, or have, have stopped watching it because they can't stand her. And I don't blame them, because this is ridiculous. The idea that you are more bothered by the terminology, which, by the way, let me get to where she's even getting this, this term from. So this is from ABC News. From sleeping on concrete floors with lights on 24 hours a day to no access to soap or basic hygiene, migrant children in at least two U.S. Customs and Border Protection facilities face conditions one doctor described as comparable to torture facilities. Okay, that's where this all stems from, this entire discussion of what Meghan McCain is focused on. Now, to any normal person, any normal person with empathy reading that paragraph, what would stand out to any normal person? The part where children are sleeping on concrete floors with lights on 24 hours a day with no access to soap or basic hygiene. I think to most people, that's what would stand out about that paragraph. Not the fact that one doctor described the conditions as comparable to torture facilities. Yet somehow, that's what stands out to Meghan McCain. Not everything else. Oh, everything else would have... The hyperbole, oh, you know, the hyperbole here is really important because my father, 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 my father. I mean, that's that's what she offers to this conversation. That's what Megan McCain offers to this conversation. Um, but don't worry, 
I have more. So here's one more clip of uh, this complete disaster. It may not have intended to be a torture facility, but has turned out to be tortuous. Okay. That's number one. Number two, uh, this was used, uh, uh, separating these children was used as a deterrent at the border to to keep them from coming in. It hasn't been working. It doesn't work. So he doesn't even know what he's doing. But I think the hyperbole, but I think hyperbole when you're saying this is a concentration camp, this is a torture center, it's when you get people to stop paying attention. And what is happening is horrific. Oh, contraire, mon ami. I believe (laughs) that AOC, at AOC calling it. Joy Behar. I mean, I don't speak. Friends, I believe that AOC about. calling it a concentration camp in a very strange way has put the focus on the situation. And it worked for you. It didn't work for me as a conservative Republican. Well, and again, I think I we should focus on care that there are seven they dead do. kids that came out of those they camps. Do. Okay, so Sonny Hostin there just completely exposes the whole pathology. Megan McCain being so focused on the terminology showcases her heartlessness that oh because aoc called these con these these camps concentration camps well it turned me off to the entire issue now i don't care at all about these dead kids because she called it a concentration camp or this one doctor in this abc article called it torture like facilities oh i don't care any uh, anymore about these deaths conservatives don't care anymore about these deaths because these two liberals called these facilities uh terrible i mean how childish is that that's what they're acting like children they didn't care about this issue before so what they're now they're more turned off because of the terminology that some people have used this is so completely insane and all Megan McCain is doing is furthering the idea that calling these facilities what they are by the way i have a video breaking down exactly why these are concentration camps experts have called them concentration camps i'll link to that video above but this idea that calling them what they are is turning people off look i don't call it anything you want What matters is what is actually happening in these facilities. That's what the lawmakers should care about. That's what pundits on TV should care about. It shouldn't be about the terminology. This whole obsession (laughs) with the term, I mean, it shows you how co-opted the narrative is by the Republican Party and the right wing. This is what they do to try and distract from the actual issue that is going on. They'll try to find anything to latch onto so that you aren't focusing on what is actually happening on the border. Beto O'Rourke, who apparently is uh, still in the race for 2020, has proposed a new war tax. Now, before I even get into the details here, generally, I don't have any issues with taxes. I mean, that's how we create the society that we are currently living in, whether it's, you know, roads, police, firefighters, health care, at least in my situation in Canada. Taxes are necessary in order to create a society. But this is a war tax. So let me get into this. Beto O'Rourke proposes war tax as part of veterans' plan. Non-military households would pay a war tax to help cover the health care of veterans of newly authorized wars under a plan Beto O'Rourke's campaign unveiled Monday. Now... This plan is pretty dumb. Uh, I mean, I wish there was a, uh, a, I don't know, 
a different way to phrase this, but it's pretty dumb. So let me read a little bit more of these details here and then let me discuss why this is so stupid. Money collected through the war tax, which he is proposing for future wars, would go into a new trust fund for veterans established at the outset of each war. Households making less than 30000 per year would pay $25. Those making less than 40000 would pay $57. Those making less than 50000 would pay $98. Those making less than 75000 would pay $164. Those making less than 100000 would pay 270 Those making less than 200000 would pay 485 And those making more than 200000 would pay $1,000. Now, <laughs> upon reading this uh, again... I mean, I'm realizing the breakdown here is even ridiculous. The idea that you don't have any extra level over $200,000. How about people that make a million each year or 10 million a year or 20 million a year? Shouldn't they pay a lot more than just $1,000? But anyways, the idea, the, the reason why this is so stupid is because you wouldn't need any of this under a Medicare for all system. You would just have health care. Everybody would have health care. So what's with this piecemeal approach where, oh, we're going to do something here to, to, to help the veterans, do something over here to help lower income people, do something here to help uh, seniors? How about just a Medicare for all system? Simple. It covers everyone. It costs. It would cost less through your taxes than it would uh, through your insurance company, at least for 99% of people. I mean, if if you're worth over you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or, or over, you know, $10 million. Yeah, you're going to pay more in taxes for healthcare than you currently do. But most people don't make that much money. They're not, not worth that much money. So uh, for the vast majority of people, a Medicare for all system is cheaper through your taxes and covers everything and more than your current plan likely does. Um, and is just makes more sense. I mean, it's universal. But this so the idea behind a war tax like this is that it's supposed to discourage politicians from supporting war because that would make war less popular with their constituents but here's the thing war is already incredibly unpopular the vast majority of people when you look at any poll about war the vast majority of americans want to put an end to these wars they don't want more war so you don't need to make war less popular by creating this tax when it already is unpopular. I mean this this doesn't make any sense. Uh, I I don't I don't know why Beto thinks this is this is one of the ways to save his his failing campaign. This isn't going to excite anybody. <laughs> this is pretty dumb. Now to be super fair, super fair. There are some positive aspects of this proposal. So it doubles the spending on Alzheimer's research. Uh, it creates a, a military service as a pathway to citizenship for immigrants, which to me is sort of a double-edged sword because, I mean, this is sort of encouraging immigrants to fight wars for you. I don't necessarily think that makes much sense. But if you are currently a veteran, I think, of course, you should be, uh, be able to have uh, citizenship. But ultimately, the idea is this war tax, and the idea is dumb. <laughs> so here's a tweet from uh, Ken Klippenstein that I think sums it up uh, nicely. 
Me, dumb. <laughs> what if we had a war tax on defense contractors to get veterans better care? Beto, wise. What if we had a war tax on working people for wars the vast majority of them never supported? Yeah. This is the other side to it. If you actually wanted a war tax like this, you should be taxing the people that are actually pushing for war. The military contractors. I mean, the, this is... the. Why are you putting the burden on the average citizen who doesn't support war to begin with and not on these massive companies that are making billions and billions in profit off of war? Wouldn't it make a lot more sense to tax those companies more than taxing the average citizen? So again, I don't know what the hell Beto is doing, but uh, I don't think this is really going to help his failing campaign.